Ian Collins wants a word. <laughs> Powered by the Mitsubishi L200. Loaded with power, spec and attitude. And now with a five-year, 125,000-mile warranty. Collins wants a word. Now that's why I was slightly late. Uh, you know when you're going down the road chewing some gum, you think I flick that in the bin and you walk past and very casually you lob or try to lob the gum in the bin. Uh, but the gum's got other ideas and it just stays on your hand. So you go again, and you find yourself after about the fourth time, it's like you're in some kind of mad Peter Sellers sketch. Waiting for Eric Sykes to pop around the corner with a plank in his hand. Should we do this? On the show, this. Jam jar, jar jar, Jesus Jackson. A sizzling barbecue's worth of this. These are in trouble. I think people know they're in trouble. And we'd be more shagged than Lem McCluskey at a shag the most annoying lefty competition if we didn't knock out at least a spoonful of this. Are we excited about all that? Of course we are. And here we have the Thora Herd of podcasting. It's Sacho Kev. She's dead now. But what do you want me to do about that? Well, towards the end of her life, she was doing ads for steer lifts, wasn't she? She was. Always uh, on the ads uh, between Countdown. <laughs> Are they suggesting that only old people, wa- the old and the infirm, watch Countdown? Well, they do. Then they have Michael Parkinson selling you uh, something, and then uh, Frank Boff comes on and shits over your screen. <laughs> On that bombshell, it's questions and feedback via social media and email. And somebody threw a couple of paper aeroplanes through our open office window uh, with some questions on, which <laughs> yes. I think was quite nice. So I'll be able to try to get the detail through to us. Technology has changed, mm. man, with your paper aeroplane, though. Yeah. It used to be, you know, you'd like, here's a piece of paper, you'd fold this bit over and that, and then your wings back, and that was easy, and that would fly brilliantly. Mm. But now you have to do like all of these little, almost like origami, like folds and tucks and tails and things. Isn't there a story that Tail End Charlie, one of the rear gunners in World War Two, threw a paper aeroplane out of his cockpit window? Right. With, you know, up yours, Jerry or something. And the plane went down and hit a German in the eye, took him out, stoked <laughs> off dead. That's got to be nonsense. It's got to be nonsense. It's got to be uh, an urban myth. Which, by the way, I think we should do uh, a show based solely on urban myths. I think there's a, a whole podcast in there. Yeah, why not? A guy told me in the week, he said, a friend of a friend. Apparently this guy had a snake, a pet snake, and he slept with the snake. He thought the snake is suitably tame, so I'll sleep with the snake, and the snake can stay on the bed, and when it's on the bed it can lay uh, sort of next to me, and it'll be nice and warm. And he noticed over a period of time... Uh, that the snake was losing a lot of weight and he thought there was something terribly wrong. So he took the snake to the vets and the vet said, the snake is losing weight because it's getting ready to eat. Oh. Presumably him. Right, yeah, yeah, I got that. Uh, this is this is obviously bollocks. Yeah, yeah. But... Well, now that's where it would start, I think. It's another... That wouldn't be nice, would it? Strangulation <laughs> of the testes. No. By Cobra. <laughs> it, Yes, I think there's a whole show that way. Well, let's let's get to work on that then. I think we should. Yeah. What do you got, Kev? We have 
Swansea Mike. Mike says, how are you two coping with the sunshine, you pair of pasty bastards? <laughs> Has Scaredy Pants Kev been stung by one of the bees he seems to think haunt the human population? Yes, see last episode and several others before. Yeah, I haven't yet. A bee conspiracy. I haven't yet, but I have seen an awful lot of proper bumblebees about, so I think all of this thing about them somehow disappearing has got to be nonsense. Can I tell you something? I was out walking the dog, and uh, the dog's got a little tennis ball, one of those miniature tennis balls, Okay. and I kicked the tennis ball into um, like a, a load of, without realising it, a sort of bed of flowers. And then it went right into the centre of this thing. And I went to get the tennis ball, and I realised that the flowers had bumblebee aplenty. Oh, yeah. Swanning around the gaff. Yep. Like mentalists. And they were <laughs> doing their thing that they do with the flowers. And I don't know, there's probably a hundred of these beasts. And my tennis ball is in the middle. And I looked at the bed, I looked at the bees, I looked at the ball. And I thought, oh, isn't that interesting? They all begin with B. And so what I did, I just built up a little bit of courage, and I stuck my hand into the bed. Yeah. I felt like the David Blaine of Bromley, <laughs> which also begins with B. And so off I went onto my arm-based journey into the flowers. I didn't know where it was. I only knew that it was roughly in there. So I didn't have to just go in, which is essentially it's like going around the bee's house. A little bit. And in I went, and I had a little scoot around, and I felt, and I thought, it's there somewhere. And I had another prod to the left, another prod to the right, and eventually... I found the ball, and out my hand came. Not a single sting, sir. Well, you were very lucky. You were clearly lucky. very lucky. That's what bees do. No, bees sting you. I mean, that this is the problem. You're all, to, oh, I'm thinking of wasps and not bees, and everyone wants to save the bees because we need bees for honey. Hang on. And... Andre says, are you is it Andre says he's got a bee expert. Well, what the f*** does he know? He's got a bee expert on the line. Right. What, what who? Paul De Silva. Do you want to speak to Paul De Silva? Yeah, patch him through, mate. Is that Paul De Silva? Hi. Just tell us, first of all, Paul, because there's a lot of urban mythology going around. Are, are bees evil? Oh. <laughs> are bees evil? Well, I don't think so, but Kev here seems to think that they're, they're making, a, to quite a phrase, a beeline for him. I'm convinced of it, sir. So many, you know, holidays, picnics, you name it, these little bumbly bastards have been rolling around. <laughs> the bane there's of my good... life. There's a good chance you're not spotting a bee. You're probably thinking of a wasp. Correct. You said that. Yes, I said that, Paul. No, I know what they look like. Yeah, though. but everybody. I think that the bee gets a bad press because, exactly as you said, Paul, people confuse it with a wasp, don't they? We did some survey work last year, and we found out that most people can't tell the difference between a bee, a hoverfly, and a wasp. Wow. But that they're really concerned about the plight of bees, and they want to do something about it. So. Your inability to tell the difference doesn't mean that <laughs> no. you can't do something about it. It just means he's an idiot, Paul. No, Let's no, just... Yeah, OK. <laughs> See, I get that, it. That could be it. The, <laughs> bees, uh, the, bees, the bees are very sensible creatures. They know what it's all about, and maybe you should consult the bees. I was just—I was saying a second ago, Paul, that I put my hand into a, a flower bed to retrieve a ball for my dog that was full of bees, and they weren't bothered by me, and everything was fine. So True. If well, you... they don't want to sting... They're not interested in stinging people. In fact, most wasps aren't either, and hoverflies aren't either. They they actually just want to find the food. Sure. And I'm sure you're interested in that too. You you just want to get on and eat your food. And that's what bees are doing most of the time. They're looking for food. Um, they're looking for shelter. They're not interested in stinging you or causing a problem. But if you bother them... They'll give, you, yeah, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll give you something to think about. And, of course, the bee doesn't survive if it stings you. Is that, that's right, isn't it? Good. The honeybee doesn't. The bumblebee um, will go to extreme lengths to avoid 
singing is. Sure. Um, so, you know, there's, there's lots to learn about bees. In fact, there's so many fascinating things about bees. The more we learn about with our Bee Cause campaign, people have, have kind of... Uh, Found out fascinating things about bees. I, I, I like the idea of a campaign called Be Aware a couple of weeks ago. That was my favourite idea. Yeah. Oh, sounds okay. Not a good <laughs> <at all. laughs> Right. Good to talk to you, Paul. You say you're not going to be a member of Friends of the Earth, Kev. Uh, you're going to be the first person in the history to be banned from Friends of the Earth. <laughs> because I think you should join the B course straight away. It, it, just tell us on a serious side, though, Paul. I mean, is there a, are bees in danger? You alluded to that a second ago. Yeah, and that's why we're running the campaign. Basically, bees are in trouble. I think people know they're in trouble. They need a lot of support to find the food and the, the shelter they need. Mm-hmm. It's largely down to the way we're building our terrorist cities. Our farming systems are a bit messy. Um, and, and we shouldn't be at all surprised that the, the bees, not just honeybees, but wild bees, one bees and the solitary bees are, uh, are experiencing big decline. And, and if they're in trouble, we're in trouble too. OK, Paul, so tell us then, if people want to find out a bit more about the bee campaign, where, where do they go, what's the best place to look, and what can they do? Well, I think the easiest thing is just go to the Friends of the Earth website, so just do a search for Friends of the Earth or yep. the bee cause. You'll get all you need to know. Now's a really important time because the government has finally agreed to what we've been asking for, which is to draw up a national bee action plan. Um, and it's a chance for a government to start putting in place a proper action to help kind of turn around the decline of our bees and other important pollinators. So it's a great time to get involved. So Google Friends of the Earth, get on there and all the, all the detail and everything you need. And finally, eating honey, that, that's all right, isn't it? That's, that's not like, is that a bad thing? Is that like eating the bee's house? <laughs> no, I, there, are, there are some issues around honey because some of it's you know, highly industrialised, produced. But I think there's nothing wrong with supporting your local beekeeper. Sure. Uh, just remember that the bee problem isn't just about honeybees, it's about all species of bee. Sure. They all pollinate our crops. They don't necessarily all produce honey, but yeah, support your local beekeeper. Good work. local bee honey, and it's probably good for beekeeper as well. Fantastic. Well, listen, thanks for talking with us, Paul. We we appreciate your time and your education. And uh, Sideshow Kev here is is now a um, a convert to the bee camp. I've certainly got a lot to think about. Certainly have. Maybe, maybe you can love a wasp as well. <laughs> well. From Friends of the Earth, Paul De Silva with us, oh, everybody. So you're sold on the bees? No, look, um, I think my my stance still remains pretty much as it was, despite what I say to nice men on the telephone. Let's have another question. From Sheeny. I notice with little interest that Status Quo have made a movie. What? Given that these two knackered old chancers have had a go, surely it's time for a once-a-word biopic. Well done, Sheeny. Yeah. Well done. They have. They've made, what's it called? Baba Quo or something? Bula Quo, that's it. Um, in which they go to Hawaii and have machine guns. And solve murders and stop. Um, it. No, honestly, and and save the girl, and it's all soundtrack by so status this, quo. This has been out. It, this is it's. If it's not out, it's coming out. Oh, for God's sake! Yeah, old Francis and Rick yeah. in a pair of speedos with an AK forty-seven running down the beach. That yeah. is extraordinary. Yeah. So it's like sort of Baywatch, Quo Watch. But, uh, <laughs> yes, it's worse than that. Yeah, and, and of course they've got bigger tits than Pamela. <laughs> You've seen them lately. Well, what do you look forward to that? So what do you think, then? A once-a-word movie? No. Well, Thora Heard obviously plays the sideshow Kev part. Long dead, so it would be like... Oh, zom- I know, it's Miss Shobby's shoebox. <laughs> Zombie Thora Heard. I think I'll just open my shoebox with a cup of tea and an iced fancy. That's, that's a terrifying prospect, though. 
bless her, but she died some time ago. Even yeah. as a zombie, her state of decomposition is going to be a little bit troubling. Who's going to play me in this biopic? Well, if we have to dig up Thora, then um, Arthur Bloody Askey is only a, a spade and a so? bit of effort away. Yeah. Or were they cremated? Oh, that's where it gets difficult. Just add water. It brings back to life. <laughs> Bring back your own Thora. Yeah, it's Thora. And for fans who bought Instant Thora, there's now new Instant Arthur. <laughs> Just add 250 millilitres of water and it's Hello Playmates. <laughs> I think we're onto something here. Oh, definitely. Can you get me Theo Profitas on the line, please? <laughs> He'll give us a few shekels for that, I'm uh, sure. I'm sure he will. Uh, cool Hand Luke says, are you two going on holiday? I'm guessing Kev is a caravanning man. I have been caravanning in the past and thoroughly really? enjoyed it. Yeah, when I was much younger. Oh, as a kid, yeah, we went to a caravan park. We never yeah, actually yeah. took the caravan and and, and trailed. Oh no, that's a road. folly. You wouldn't do that. What? Some kids do. <laughs> no, I, not I know what. Yes, on the M25. Yes, but they don't pull along the like big trailery ones that you get at caravan parks because no, have they're to... kind of like static homes, aren't they? Specialist kit to shift them from one part of the country. They were to the great. Other. The static home thing for a kid, they were fantastic. Because of course, the thing with the caravan is that the you know essentially the shit becomes a double bed. So <laughs> everyone's a winner, and you discover all manner of things. Oh, what's that cupboard over there? Let me have a look inside. And in true Tardis style, you realise that that's not a cupboard. That's in fact you know seven bedrooms. Of course, the biggest problem with caravanning is all the bees that would just fly oh, in. Oh, not again! Yeah, you get no education. I'm just saying that when it comes to he the... told you. I know what he told me. Don't kill them. Uh, are we going on holiday? Yes. Uh, yeah, end of August. Probably, yeah. Uh, there's uh, the, the annual once a word summer break. Yeah. Uh, we're not going together, of course. We could do. That'd be quite nice. <laughs> could try that. You can pay. Okay. Again. <laughs> From Colonel Cole. Is the live show actually happening? I haven't oh. had an email yet. Uh, yes, we haven't sent any emails out, but the live show is happening. We're just not quite sure when yet, hence the lack of information but if you would like to join the once a word live show mailing list which will either be in glasgow or dublin or london or somewhere else or possibly in a wheelbarrow somewhere uh then email me kev at once a word.com ask to be added to the mailing list and we will start mailing out stuff soon as soon as we know what's happening but it is happening and that's the most exciting thing ever and also <coughs> terrifying if we're honest. Well, it's absolutely terrifying. So, have you, you just got to sit there and witter on. <laughs> what are you going to do? Are you doing a variety show? <laughs> I've got to somehow. I'm going to produce doves. Are you going to do some sort of a George Formby tribute act then? Uh, no, I'm going to do a George Foreman tribute act and kick the <laughs> shit out of you. <laughs> and then grill me. <laughs> yes. And we can feed the audience. It's a sideshow Kev Sizzler. From Lee in the shit hole that stocked it on teas. His words. Not ours. Ian, do you remember you had that fight with a guest on your live TV dating type show? I just happened to switch onto the channel and there you were, rolling around the floor with this dude. It was, block capitals, f***ing hilarious, mate. Now, I I saw this come into the office. I have no memory of uh, this happening. No. I I never did a dating show on telly. That's right. I did a show called Lie Detector. Which was on for years. Yes, but it there might have been within within lie detector there might have been a dating story in there because obviously it was about whether people had lied to each other. So sometimes it might be about somebody at work and they'd lied on their CV. It could be somebody who'd said they'd uh, told a mate they'd done something fabulous and they lied. So different case studies would come on, and I would interview them, and then they would get put on a lie detector by Professor Richard Wiseman and. 
Within that format, it's possible there was a dating format. I think she's being unfaithful to me or whatever. But I don't, I have no memory of, of during that there being a scrap. And if there was a scrap, why I would be involved in it. In fact, the one memory I have of that show is that all the earpiece and microphone were hardwired in. Oh. So I used to sit in this chair. You couldn't actually move around. And you'd have to stay there and record about five at once. So it was very uncomfortable. I can imagine. So I don't remember that unless somebody could email me the video evidence uh, of that. Do you know what I remember most about Lie Detector? The brown corduroy jacket. Do you remember that? Oh, I remember it very well. I was ahead of the curve. You certainly were. Yeah. Don't know what curve. Some sort of pensioner's curve, perhaps. No, that was the studious look. Yeah, well... No, no, it wasn't just brown. There was another. There was a uh, a bluish one. Bluey grey. Ah. Yeah. You should bring them back. That was the student look. Those days are gone. It was the twat look. <laughs> From Happy Harry Hardon. <laughs> Any advice for dealing with smelly, sweaty bastards on public transport? I swear, some of these folk haven't seen the inside of a shower cubicle since 1988. Do smelly people secretly know they smell? Because you must know you don't wash. But here's the thing, though. There's right. a vague defence of the smell bag. I'm uh, sitting across from you, so... Well, you know. it's this. There's two kinds of smell. Of course, there's people who smell very, very badly. Mm. And there is an ongoing body odour, the, 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 the standard BO that stinks. It's stale, it's horrible, it's stenchy, it's, it's nauseous. It's all of those things. Uh, but then there's fresh sweat that happened that moment, you know, that day, that yes. hour. Mm. That's two different things. But fresh sweat doesn't smell. Well, it smells of fresh sweat. No, it just Like smells... if you run a race, you might smell of sweat. No, but that's, you're smelling heat, though, aren't you? Hang what on, could you smell heat? What are you smelling heat? I don't know. You started it. So do smelly people know that they smell? They know they don't wash. They must know they smell. Well, listen, I'm going to ask one. Last train home tonight, after yeah. the pub... I'm going to ask a smelly person if they know they smell. Excuse and I'll me, smell back. bag? Yes. Smell bag? You over there. I will I report back. I used to work with somebody who smelt very, very badly, and they would come into work in the morning, and they would often refer to, as anybody else does, you know, got up at six, had a lovely shower, and had some breakfast, and we used to look at each other and think, whoa, whoa, had a lovely shower? Yeah. You smelly quack, quack, oops. <laughs> how, did you, how did you manage that? But actually, what? What it was, it was their clothes that oh. smelled. They were guilty of not washing their clothes. So I think sometimes it's that. So who was it? You could say, I'll beep it. Really? Yeah, filthy. That's interesting, because I thought... Because you remember, used to smell. He used to smell... Like of, a polecat. Like earwaxy, weirdy, weird, Ugh. weird smell. Yeah. It was just, it was very bad. And smelled of... <laughs> <laughs> Here's something from Becky Poo. <laughs> yeah. Becky Poo has a Where's Witchell and Co. Really? Andre, give me some Where's Witchell and Co music! About three years ago, me and my husband went to Dublin for the day. That's a terrible story. There's no newsreaders in it. No. Oh, hang on, there's more. At the end of the trip, we had to wait about an hour for the bus to get us on the ferry. As we were waiting outside, guess who happened to wheel past? Who was it? Who do you think it was, Ian? Who do you think it was? So they're at, where are they? Dublinish. Is that relevant? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I, mean, I don't know. It's reader Irish that we're talking about. Well, not necessarily. Moira Stewart. Why, it was the BBC's very own war bloke, Frank Gardner. <laughs> That's Frank Gardner. <laughs> Why are we laughing at Frank Gardner? I don't Gardner? know who he is. Do you not know? No. I'll tell you who Frank Gardner is. Yeah? 
Is that what you're laughing? <laughs> yes. Why are you laughing? I'm laughing because you're laughing. Frank Gardner is a yeah, he's a BBC war correspondent. <laughs> I know that. It says that in the email. <laughs> All my husband could do is point and loudly shout out, "It's Frank Gardner!" Multiple times. Mm. Poor Frank looked a bit terrified that this madman was shouting and pointing at him, so he quickly hailed a taxi and buggered off as fast as he could. Frank uses a wheelchair because he was injured, uh, I think, while reporting. But yeah, cracking journo. I think he's the security correspondent rather than war. It's Frank Gardner! Frank Gardner! If you've got any entries for Where's Witchell and Co., if you've seen any newsreaders or correspondents, email me, kev at onceaword.com. And they'll be featured, and you could win a special, uh, I don't know, what have we got? Cuddly Fiona Armstrong or something? I'm sure we could work something out. Yeah. And finally, Esther, from Wogan's Bent Mike, regarding the blankety-blank checkbook and pen. A friend of mine called Matt, uh, from back when I was at school, claimed his dad had been on blankety-blank and won a blankety-blank checkbook and pen. Now, you remember last week, I was disputing whether or not these things they exist. Didn't have them. I don't think they exist. And they I, just had one of them. Well, hang on, there's more to this story. Oh, yeah. When I went round his house to have a look at it, it had strangely gone missing, so I assumed this to be a schoolboy fib. However, some years later, I did happen upon an old episode on UK Gold, and Matt's dad did indeed win said prize. But the fact it was nowhere to be seen makes me think this must be a conspiracy. I think they've all signed non-disclosure agreements, they get 100 quid... Uh, and, a, and a, a set of crystal or something like that. And it's like, you must never tell anyone there's no such thing as a blankety-blank checkbook and pen. OK. Oh, well, th- this has got us to two uh, additional features in this little section. One is uh, urban myths, and the other is, d- do you own something you won on a, uh, a quiz show? We- we'd love some bendy bully details. Yes. And a ceramic dusty bin. Specifically, though, because I have seen a ceramic dusty bin. I've seen a bendy bully. Have you? Yes. You could well, buy you them. live in a village where everybody went on quiz shows. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Ballyhoo was like Some that. Some kind of, sort of stellar street. I'll tell you this much. Do you remember a quiz called Finders Keepers? Yeah. With Richard, Richard Stilgo, who used to perform the theme tune as well. Yeah. Every single contestant on that was from Ballyhoo. Balls. Ba- no, Ballyhoo. If you've got any questions uh, you want to send to us, kev at onceaword.com, uh, ian at onceaword.com, or of course on Twitter at onceaword. Welcome to the world of tomorrow! Uh, here we go, it's that newish feature. It's the one where we'd only get a cheer. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, ways to make the world a better place. Once in a while, while you're busy being a humble human, you stumble across little areas of existence, be it social, economic, governmental, or just plain personal, where a nugget of everyday life just looks all wrong. It could be a law, a type of behaviour, a corporate regulation, one that needs a quick, swift kick up the arse, a rethink, a rewiring, a reworking of ideas. With this in mind, we bring you ways to make the world a better place. Your thoughts on how we can improve the globe. Welcome to our workshop, Kev. Why should kids have all the fun, Ian Collins? Let me ask you that question. You've seen these kids' suitcases, these trunkies with little wheels on? Here's what I propose. Dragon's Den. uh, Turn them down? Turn them down. Yeah. That was sensible. They're everywhere. Uh, They're everywhere for kids, of course. You go to airports and you, you see them all over the place. I don't know about you, Ian Collins, but I can imagine nothing greater and a way to improve the world and just improve people's happiness in general if there was a fully adult-sized, motorised version of the Tronky for grown-ups. Think about it. You've got all of your stuff in there. You don't want to lug that thing behind you or wheel it along. You want to sit on it and have a little drive around Terminal 4 
on the way to your gate. What would it be called? The Chunky? The Chunky. All you have to do, big suitcase, bit of a motor in the back, battery powered, environmentally friendly, all of that old sh- Save the bees. And you've got this incredible invention that would just make the world a better place. Or Everyone would be happy. Just get yourself a mobility scooter. The other thing is, and I think this, this actually would genuinely improve the world, and it is down the invention uh, route, supermarkets. You know if you're on holiday somewhere or you've just gone for a weekend away and you go to your local Sainsbury's or Tesco or other supermarkets are available, but you go into them and you don't know where anything is because no supermarkets are alike. And I'm actually amazed that no supermarkets have done this because okay. I think this would just improve people's lives immeasurably. An app. You have an app, you stand outside, you select which branch of which supermarket you're going into, and it comes up with a little mini sort of sat-nav thing. Type in, I want to find out where the eggs are, and it will guide you to the egg aisle. So you're not good. arsing around going up and down yep. and up and down. That's good. It means you're in the store for slightly less time. You see how all of this works. I want you to stay in that store for a second, Kev. For my suggestion here as to how to make the world a better place. And it's called the fist cap. (laughs) This addresses the issue of miserable shop assistants and anyone working in the face-to-face service sector. The cap, as in hat, uh, would be licensed uh, for those who can prove they have no patience whatsoever and are usually cantankerous swines when it comes to getting bad customer service. Everyone would know what the fist cap was. They'd be quite hard to get. You'd have to pass a test. If you were wearing one, then shopkeepers beware. It would be immediately recognisable. Inside the fist cap uh, would be a small chip loaded with algorithms of all the rude, irrational, moody and unacceptable levels of human behaviour. Right. And what happens the moment you're speaking to somebody who behaves in a way that sets off the algorithm, out pops a massive fist and punches them straight (laughs) in the face. Now... Given that this would be a product that everybody knew about, yeah, uh, you couldn't have a pretend version. It wasn't something that wasn't taken seriously. It would be a full way to improve customer service. So the shop assistant, normally fairly morose and miserable, no would look up and notice, oh, look, he's got the fist cap. I have no choice but to behave nicely, otherwise a punch in the fizzog is coming my way. All legitimised by the Department of Business and Vince Cable. I would give you a grant for that. This comes from Tony Schumacher, who says, uh, There should be one day of the year where everybody on the planet has a day off, from North Korea to Kazakhstan, Canterbury to Karachi. Everybody takes the day off and chills the f*** out. It's a nice idea. Simultaneous day off. The closest we get is, on a country-by-country basis, I suppose, is over here, the bank holiday. Get a nice bank holiday, yeah. people have got the day off. And but that. even that changes in Scotland, have some different That's right, bank yeah. holidays and stuff. Yeah, they do. Keith, the L200 driver is back. He says, what about replacing all soaps on TV with academic lectures for two weeks? <laughs> there would then be a test, and if you scored X amount, you get 10% off your council tax. <laughs> this would re-educate the nation, save some money, stop crap TV dependency, and make anything that that tosser Michael Gove ever came up with look positively stupid. It's a nice idea. Do you remember in the summer, um, BBC Two used to run... It wasn't the Wreath Lectures, was it? There was some lecture Probably, series. Yes, they did. And they used to um, put on all these incredibly... Uh, I'm sure they were they were very worthy, but they were very dull lectures. Well, when you're eight. Well, yeah, but occasionally they do one like, oh, we're going to talk about cartoons now. And they deconstruct cartoons, like we did on this podcast last week. Yes. And uh, they, they'll talk about cartoons a bit and why this works, and then they explain the science of it and physics and comedy and things. And you'd be interested in that. And then it would move on to, I don't know, Freud or some such. Sir Dan of Dorset says, anyone driving at less than 50 miles an hour on a motorway should face death. 
which I thought was a bit over the top. So yep. I added to, actually, they could just have their car crushed. It would be quite nice. If they're doing yep. under 50, there should be a minimum limit. In some states in America, there is a minimum as well as a maximum speed limit. And if you're caught going under, you get fined in the same way as if you're caught going over. And that would make perfect sense to me. So stop people doing under 50. Catch them, say, oh, good afternoon, sir. I noticed you were going at 35 miles an hour on the M6. So as a result, you dumb. I'm taking your car off you. <laughs> right. So, okay. That's fine. But I mean, is that like for the first offence? Because that seems a bit mean for the first time you do it. So Immediately. Like, really? Immediately. Uh, zero tolerance. Yeah. I stopped a guy once uh, in a car. I, I acted as the stopper. I overtook him because he wasn't on a motorway. He was driving so slow, chronically slowly. He was an old bloke. And as I looked in the mirror, I could see there was a queue uh, forming around this windy road behind him. Right. And I put my hazards on. Being an old man, he recognised what that was, and he stopped immediately. I got out of the car, and I said, fella, you are driving so chronically slow, it's probably a little bit dangerous. Yeah. I was trying to advise him genuinely. Yeah, he closed his window, wouldn't look at me, um, and then we just all drove off. But it can be dangerous, so I, I, I get the, the sentiment. Yeah. Alison says, uh, force people to imagine everybody with no clothes on. This would make us realise that we're really all the same. Do you really want to imagine? I mean, I imagine quite a lot of people without any clothes on anyway. Yes. But only people that... We know. <laughs> only people, I think, that most others would probably imagine folk without their clothes on. Yeah. But uh, there's a lot of people you don't want to think about without kit on, isn't there? Uh, what's his face springs to mind? Your mate, Pickles. Imagine Eric Pickles in the nude, and that's meant to endear us to thinking that isn't ever... I, mean, I, I love Alison's sentiment. I think what she's trying to say is great. Unfortunately, Eric Pickles makes that entire notion collapse like a house of cards. Yeah. Uh, and this comes from Del Strain. Oh, I know him. Del says, make dog owners who don't clear up their dog mess eat what the dog oh. has left on the paper. <laughs> oh, man. If they don't bag it, they get fed it. <laughs> and what was interesting, on the back of this on Twitter, Chip uh-huh. Butty says, uh, yeah, horse owners should have, to do <laughs> the, should have to do the same. But it did make me think, how do horse owners get away with it? Why is it a horse poo okay? Well, you'd have to have them wearing nappies otherwise, wouldn't you? And that'd look yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, but nobody, nobody worries about it. It's like the streets of any city where there's police horses, nobody really blinks if there's a little bit of horse cat knocking around the cobbles. Nobody seems, seems to worry, because it's got a manure image, so therefore it's all right. But essentially, it's horse poo. I suppose it is. For some reason, it's the Premier League of shat. <laughs> Does a zebra uh, get off of the same kind of decorum for its offerings I or outings? It'd be stripey, wouldn't it? Like a barcode. <laughs> uh, if you would like to make the world a better place, uh, Ian... What's, what have we become? I'm, oh, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just reading this stuff out. If you would like to make the world a better place, we would like your suggestions, please. Uh, very simply, send those through to Ian at onceaword.com, Kev at onceaword.com, or at onceaword. Thank you. The Mitsubishi L200 comes with a 125,000-mile five-year warranty. In fact, if you bought an L200 today, it would last roughly five years longer than a politician's promise. For more info on the Mitsubishi L200, visit your local dealer. The Mitsubishi L200. No environment too tough. Sideshow Kev's Showbiz Shoebox. Have you noticed we've been jubilant over the last couple of weeks because we've changed things around a little bit, adding in just a, a, a few more elements and shades and all the rest of it. Uh, and it's meant that the luxury of, of bringing in new material has meant that we sometimes kick into touch the old material, and that includes the dye offering that is Kev's Showbiz. Sh- what's that? It's back. 
We begin with an email. Andre, give me some showbiz shoebox email music. Freddie says. Dear Sideshow Kev, what with all the talk of Katie Hopkins on this morning slagging off baby names and Kim and Kanye giving their kid a bloody stupid name, North, I was wondering if you could perhaps give us another edition of the celebrity baby name shoebox. Well, it just so happens we can. Very simply, in Collins, a celebrity or celebrity couple okay. with a choice of baby names, only one is real. You just have to find it. Number one, tumbling tongued cockney rodent Jamie Oliver. Has had many kids, but what is the name of his most recent? Okay. Is it A. Buddy Bear, B. Bilderberg Builder Bear, or C. Bj and the Bear? He's got one called Buddy Bear, so that's the only one. It's got to be A. Well, unless my research is incorrect, which it might be, I believe it is A. That is his most recent. Did you say research? Buddy Bear. I mean, there's like a team of people, swarms of folk who work on this feature to make it the the cherished gem that it is. No, I just give A Funk a fiver and he does it. Okay. Number two, silky smooth singing person Erica Badu. Do you know Erica Badu? I do. Yeah. What's her daughter's name? Is it A, Cloudfuss Proportion Badu? Is it B, Mars Merkaba Badu? Or is it C, Fanny? I'd love to think it was C. I'm going for B. Correct answer. Good work, Collins. Number three, teeny tiny hip swinging funster Shakira. Shakira. She just popped a baby out of her hoo hoo. But what did she call it? Was it A, Milan? B, Chuff Storm? Or C, Anal Bead? A. Correct answer. That's one of those geographical names that Katie Hopkins doesn't like, despite having a daughter called India. Mm. Stupid. <laughs> number, <laughs> number four. It's always worth revisiting the nonsense that is Jermaine Jackson. Which of the following isn't the name of one of his kids? A. Your Majesty Jermaine Jackson. B. Jafar Jeremiah Jackson. Or C. Jam Jar 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 Jesus Jackson. Uh, I think C is not one. Correct answer. A. That's four out of four. Finally, number five. Little appreciated pop funster and acting liability Jessica Simpson. You've probably seen her on TMZ.com and in that funny sidebar on the Daily Mail website. Always. What's her kid called? Is it A. Ace Canute Simpson? B. Shunt Mortgage Simpson? Or C. Flappy f- <laughs> Dane Arsecrack Stu Woo Simpson? <laughs> I'm going A. Get you. I got five out of five. You did get five out of five. The other thing. Is that that's the end of the podcast? Is it? Yeah, because normally we do the like an interview at the end. Oh yeah, but yeah. we spoke to B Boy. Yep. And so therefore the Chris Rock interview uh, had to be cancelled. Oh well. Sorry, Chris. Should we do the uh, you know the what the the credit stream? Credit stream. Yeah. Well, you have to press the lever. No, I'll do it myself. I'll do the voice myself. I can do it. What that female? Voice? Yeah, I can do it. Sure. Listen, right? Hang on. Here we go. <coughs> credit stream. And there you go. Get out. We are, of course, back next week. Thanks to you for downloading. If you like what we do and want to help support this podcast, then get over to iTunes to rate, review, and, of course, subscribe. It's all free. Android users can try us also on the free Stitcher app or download at stitcher.com slash once a word. Thank you 
To all of our guests, all can be found on Twitter, as can we, at Once A Word. The in-show feature and sponsor music is written by a man called Kevin McLeod. His website is incompetech.com. The show's technical operator is Andre Porch. The programme was edited by Sarah Woods. Our intern was Selwyn Froggett. And today's chunky fact comes courtesy of Mac in Bristol, who tells us that otters are the only animal who can swear in their own language. OK, attention... All otters listening. Off. Now let's just see how many otter complaints we get. Oh, and as ever, the in-show catering was provided by Abdul's Coffee Shack. We're back next week with what the newspapers are already referring to as the one that might result in legal action from Vanessa Feltz. Until then, goodbye. A Big Things Media Production. Big Things! Ian Collins wants a word. Powered by the Mitsubishi L200. With a five-year, 125,000-mile warranty, that's as tough and hard-working as you are. We're also going to be talking to our security correspondent, Frank Gardner, who's travelled regularly, of course, to Bahrain. It's Frank Gardner!